0: This is The Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Uh, would you open your Bibles up with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. Uh, the, the first letter to the, the church in Thessalonica, Paul the Apostle is writing this letter. Now, for those of y'all who have been following with us over the last uh, five to six weeks, we have been in a sermon series, all right? Uh, the sermon series uh, is titled Upside Down. Uh, and for those of y'all who have been listening over the last few weeks, you know why we call it Upside Down, because in uh, Acts chapter 17, where Paul and Silas is about to enter into this city of Thessalonica, Red flags go flying in the air. People are super aware. They're, uh, they're taken aback because they've heard about Paul. They've heard about the church being planted, the church growing all around them. And they're like, man, these guys have come here to Thessalonica to turn our world upside down. Uh, We as Christians and believers are tasked by God to turn every world that we walk into upside down. Uh, You know, uh, going back to Eden when God created the heavens and the earth and he put man on this earth, he put him in a right side up world, in a world that everything was normal and everything was good. He looked at all his creation and said, this is beautiful in my sight. He created man and he said, I love it. He created uh, everything there was, and he put man in the center of that universe, and he said, you live in a right-side-up world. Man, because of sin, slipped, fell uh, fell hard, and what was a right-side-up world now became an upside-down world, and in the, living in the upside-down world, a new upside-down became the new normal. And because of the new normal, what, what, what is supposed to look like upside down began looking like right side up for those that were without God and in sin and far away from God. The goal of redemption and the reason why God sent his only son Jesus to this earth was to restore mankind and restore men back into the place where God intended them to be all along. It was in the presence of God, in the glory of God, in His, in His sight, in His, in His beauty, restore them back to a right-side-up world. When the world looks at us, they look at the Christian message or they look at, Jesus Christ is somebody that comes into their right-side-up world and turns their right-side-up world upside-down, where, in fact, it is Jesus who takes the upside-down world that you are going through, that you see is right-side-up and turns it right-side-up. And the new faith and the new walk and the new perspective that you gain walking in the Lord completely transforms your understanding of God. So today... We are in the third chapter of 1 Thessalonians. We've gone to two chapters, and uh, we, we, we go through the Bible, and we learn the Bible verse by verse. Uh, we, we, we follow what is called an expository uh, style of study here, and we teach expositorily. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and I'm going to read five verses this morning, and then we're going to pray, we're going to close, and we're going to go outside, and we're going to baptize some people. Is that cool? All right. Hey, let's get excited. Is that cool? All right, sounds good. All right, sounds good. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter number three, and we are going to verse number one. I'm reading from the ESV. If you have your Bibles, follow along. I urge you to bring your Bibles with you, but even if you have your digital devices, follow along on the screen if you must. They put the verses up there as well. Verse number one. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, Paul is talking, we were willing, Paul and Silas are talking and saying, when we could bear it no longer, We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. In verse 2, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that uh, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Just as it has come to pass and just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Holy Spirit, would you help us speak to us through this word? Give me the ability to communicate this. Give our hearts the ability to soak this word in, in Jesus' name, amen. Was it just Sonia or I, or are there other parents in this room? Uh, you might have little kids, or you might have been parents uh, you might have been parents who had little kids a while ago, and you, you ever like put them with a babysitter and gone out on a date or gone out somewhere, or they were with a family member? Uh, maybe for some of y'all, you're like, "What is a date?" Like that's never happened after we've had kids. Uh, you know like Sonia and I, after we had our second one, I think. It was seven months or six months that we didn't go anywhere because COVID was there, first of all, and we just didn't want to go anywhere. We just wanted to make sure that our our eyes, it was our first one and a second one, but our eyes were completely glued on them the whole time. But for anybody that's left their kid with a babysitter, right? Especially when they were young, right? We needed to always call back home or text back home. It could be sitting in a movie theater watching the Avengers, but one, one eye is always on the phone or your hand is on my, my, my hand was always in my pocket feeling, making sure that my phone's not vibrating or, you know, my, my phone's not ringing to make sure that everything was okay at home. And I would nudge Sonia from time to time and say, hey, text, 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 text Janice. Janice was the one that was watching our kids at that point in time and, and saying, text Janice, find out if she's okay, or text so-and-so and and find out if there, if there, okay and the reason that we did that was because we just wanted to make sure that they were fine because we get anxious about our children there are people here that probably would agree to that we get anxious about our children if they go to school our little our, our older one our five-year-old one is getting ready to go to school and she's excited about school and I'm like I don't know if I'm ready when you were two I was ready for you to be five but now that you're five I don't know if I'm ready for you to go to school And if you ask her what she's excited about, about school, it's the the big yellow bus. And I was like, baby, I don't know, but I don't think I'm going to send you on the big yellow bus as soon. I probably might be dropping you off. She's like, I don't want to go to school then. (laughs) You know, Paul felt like that for young Christians in Thessalonica that he'd left behind, just like a parent, right, is separated from their children. He was worried because Paul was there trying to build his church. Paul was the one that was sitting there and trying to minister to them and and Paul had this deep reason to worry because he had to get out of there because they would have been persecuted a lot more if Paul wouldn't have gotten out. The persecution had got so much The the people started persecuting the church. The people started persecuting people. Actually, in Acts, we see the story where they stormed into somebody's house, ransacked the home, beat people up, threw them on the streets. It became so bad that they threatened that if Paul remains there for any longer, they were going to shut down the whole operation. They were going to kill people. They were going to do some crazy stuff. So Paul was worried. He took off because for the greater good of the gospel... He had faith, but he said, for the good of the gospel, for the good of the church, I need to check out for now. But he was worried because property was being seized back in Thessalonica. When he was in Athens, workers were stopped from practicing their trades. Businessmen that were Christians and believers were stopped from doing what were were stopped from doing what they were normally do. Those who found the new faith were shunned by their families. Some were insulted, some were beaten, some were put to death, and they they were experiencing suffering of the worst kind. And Paul is deeply concerned about these young Christians going through severe trials all on their own without his support. Three weeks was all that he had with them. And twice, Paul actually says that. He says, I couldn't bear it any longer. What could Paul not bear any longer? Not knowing how they are and not not being able to give them help in their time of need. The Bible says he cared for them. He loved them, right? And uh, And the force of his words here are, I could not hold out against my feelings or my worries any longer. I had to know. I had to send someone to you. And what does he do? His concern turns into action. Does your concerns turn into action or does your concerns just remain concerns? We talked about the, pity, the, the difference between pity and compassion a few weeks ago. Compassion is... Not just feeling sorry for somebody, but doing something about that feeling of sorry that that you have in your heart. When you see somebody disenfranchised, if you see somebody broken, if you see somebody that is in need of something, you go to their help, you assist them, you aid them. That is going and being there for somebody. But having pity just means looking at something on Facebook or watching somebody going through something and saying, how poor him or poor her, I have pity on them. But Paul says, Man, I gotta do something about it. His, his concern turns into action. When God puts something on your heart, I'm asking some of y'all, you, are you obedient to God's nudging and pushing? Like if God asks you to do something or, or say something, do you actually do something about it? Paul was so worried. Some of us, it's in our prayer life, right? When we pray for somebody, when we're thinking about somebody, and if they come across our mind, do we actually reach out to them and say, hey, I'm praying for you today. You came onto my heart today, and I felt like I needed to reach out to you. I felt like I needed to text you today and encourage you. And let you. And in a few seconds, we'll talk about that. But what does he do? In verse number 2, the Bible says he sends Timothy, his brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. To do what? To establish and exhort, encourage you in your faith. Let me read verse three and four, and then we'll come back. In three, it says and no one will be, that no one would be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined or appointed for this. In verse number four, it says, "For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it had come to pass, and just as you know." Here's what we're going to do. We're going to we're not going to do two, three, four. We're going to do three, four, and then come back to verse number two. Is that cool? Because I want you to understand the, the depth of verse number three and four before we come back to verse number two. In verse number three and four, there are three truths about trials that are mentioned in those two verses. If you're taking notes, write this down. There are three truths that are mentioned about trials in those two verses. Point number one that Paul mentions about trials is this sufferings may affect you, but they don't, but don't let it affect you all right? Sufferings may affect you, but you should not allow sufferings to affect you, all right? Uh, It might come up on the screen here. There is a big difference between effect and affect, right? Stop being swayed by the traps of the enemy is what Paul is trying to teach us today. Sufferings may impact you, but don't let it alter you. In that verse that we just read in, chapter number, in, in verse number 3, it says that no one may be moved by these afflictions. The presence of afflictions doesn't mean that the Christian should be able to bend under and capsize under or go under these afflictions. God gives the ability to you and me as believers to be able to stand our ground and believe in Jesus Christ, because the, the things that come against us, though it may affect us, you and I have the ability to stand our ground and say, though it may come to me, no weapon formed against me will prosper. The word of God reminds me that that the weapon may be formed, the weapon may come against me, the enemy may attack me, the enemy may come cause temptation to come in front of me, but I have a choice. So say i have a choice it's so important church to understand this jesus jesus being jesus it didn't stop him from being affected by temptation if jesus was affected by trials you will be affected by trials look at the person sitting next to you and say you will be affected by trials just because you are affected by trials it doesn't mean you should be affected by trials You have the remote control. You have the ability to alter that situation. You have the ability to stand your ground and say, no matter what comes against me, this is a testing of my faith and I will excel. I'm going to get an A or an A plus God. I know that this is going to be hard, but I'm going to ace this test. You remember Joseph in the Old Testament, this young man that was detached from his family, ripped apart from his family at a very young age? His faith was tested, and his faith was tried. Temptations came knocking at his door, but every single time temptations came knocking at his door, the ability that he had to say no was the biggest strength that Joseph had. There was this woman in in Egypt where he was taken to, where he was a slave, he was under this, this family, called, uh, the, uh, the man called Potiphar. He was in his house and his good looks were so dashing that this woman in this house wanted to — she, she, she wanted to seduce him, and, and she approached him and, and propositioned him and said, "Hey, man, Joseph, what's up, bro?" And Joseph said, "Nope. "Nope, nope. I don't want anything to do with you. You have a ring on your finger? I don't. But because you have a ring on your finger, the answer is no." But she would have rebutted, she would have come back, and the woman would have looked at him and said, man, you're good looking, I'm good looking, so what's wrong? The answer is still no. She would have come back and said, hey, we're living in a polygamous culture, everybody's doing it, right? Isn't that what America tells us? Everybody's doing it. Everybody around is doing it. It's, It's the part of the culture. She would, have, she would have probably looked at him and said, hey, everyone's doing it. My husband's probably doing it right now. He's probably cheating on me. He's probably living this polygamous life as well. But the answer was still, I don't care if your husband's not watching. I don't care if no one is watching. My answer is still a why because he says no one might be watching but God is still watching and because of that he doesn't allow the temptation that affects him to affect him it is so important for the christian to look at trials and temptations and say i have the ability inside of me to look at any opposition to look at any trial to look at anything that the enemy throws at me and say he may form a weapon he may brandish his weapons he may draw his sword he may be ready for battle but it doesn't mean that I got to cave in and I got to give in. I got to stand my ground. And like Jesus said, he, he, he said, get thee behind, Satan. He said the word of the Lord. He uses the word of God and he says, you will not win this battle. The first truth about temptation is that in verse number three, he says, and no one should be moved by afflictions. And that word is so strong. In the Greek, it means stand still. It means don't flinch. That's what it exactly means. It's hard, right? Like, think about it. Like, think about how hard that could be, right? It's, it's hard in the middle of temptations and trials and, and all of this stuff that's raging against you to stand your ground and not flinch. I play this game. I'm sure you've played it at some point in time in your life, but I play this game with my little one, my Michaela, uh, five-year-old, the, the, the don't flinch game where I where I, where I clapped my hands and right in front of her eyes and said, don't, don't shut your eyes. And she's like, I'm doing it, dad, I'm doing it. And she, she opened her eyes up like this. And, and I clapped and she's like, no matter how much you try to keep your eyes wide open, right, when it's right in your face, your instincts take over. Your second nature takes over and God's like, man, my nature is inside of you. I've given you that ability. I have given you the ability to look at all the temptations that come against you. I've given you my word in the Bible that says there, there may be weapons that may form against you, but it will not prosper. I need somebody to take this as a word for you today. No matter what you're going through, what trial you're going through. Point number one is sufferings may affect you, but don't let it affect you. Point number two is this, believers have an appointment with affliction. Write it down, believers have an appointment with affliction. He goes on, he says, for you yourselves know that you were destined. The word destined over there means you were appointed for a time like this. Am I talking to somebody? It means this trial that you're going through is on God's diary. He has it down in his Google calendar. It's shared. It's a family calendar. Everybody sees it. Everybody knows that the child's coming at 5 p.m. You better brace yourself. Get ready. Because God knows. Don't be, don't be surprised because you're like, whoa, where did that happen? God knows already. He's saying, He's looking at them and saying, Don't be surprised, y'all. From the day one, I've been trying to repeat to you over and over again. If you love Jesus, the enemy will hate you. I always tell this to people when people come up to me say pastor pray for me i'm going through a lot of trials right now the devil is coming against me i don't like the enemy coming against me i said man if you don't like the enemy coming against you there's only one other option he's gonna walk right beside you it can it's not an it's not an and or situation it's not an and and situation it's an and it's 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 either this or that you either have the enemy coming against you and you're ready to ask god to fight on your behalf or you walking right alongside the enemy swinging your arms singing a song and 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 being happy about the way you're you're going and and god's like nope that's not the way and it says this he says he he warns them and he says man for you yourselves know that you were destined you were appointed for a time like this he says you you knew what you signed up for right it comes, he, said, he basically was looking at them and saying, man, it, you knew that it came with this platinum cross package. It, there was no micro mini asterisks that said terms and conditions apply. It was all in black and white. The Bible, you know, was not sugarcoating it. Or you won't find those verses flipped upside down where it's hard to read. If you open your Bible, the Bible is plain and black and white. And we've been talking about this for the last three weeks where God says persecution and trials and pain is all a part of the Christian life. As soon as Paul saw the new believers, he didn't teach them that that, that miraculous healings and financial success and, and that we were the king's kids. And because of that, we had glory and, and showers of blessings. And all of that is true. We are recipients to that. But the glorious gospel is in the glorious fact that you and I will go through pain. We will go through strain. We will go through tensions and we will go through trials and persecutions in this life. That's the glorious gospel. Gospel, is that no matter what you go, God gives you the strength and the ability to stand your ground and say, "I will not let what affects me affect me." He says, "For you yourself, no, y'all." He didn't preach that. He. Uh, the king's kids' message. He didn't preach that prosperity gospel. He essentially said, man, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Paul wanted the church in Thessalonica to know that their time of present suffering was in God's control. These were afflictions that they were appointed to. Someone say appointed to. And what that means is, I know God is on it, man. I know that God had it destined. I know that God had it planned. Why? Because he wants to see us rot. Because he wants us to see in pain? No. Because every faith has to be tested. You know, any product that's put out, if you have an iPhone with you, uh, this, this iPhone, before they do a release, what's the next iPhone that comes out, Robin? Do you know? 12, 13? 13, okay, no idea. 13. Before they put out 13, man, they've been doing months, and all you tech people would probably know how many months or maybe even a year or years that go into to, to kind of testing a product out. It goes through the cycles. Before a car is put out on the car lot to sell to you, these cars go through a rigorous amount of testing and trials and crashes and and amount of money that's spent on on, on cars being tested to make sure they're, they're safe enough for families to travel in and for you to travel in. It's tremendous. But the certification that it gets but the approval that it gets, but the check mark that it gets, when it gets that, that approval saying it's ready to go into production, man, that is the biggest moment that they've been waiting for because it's passed every safety standard, it's gone through every test there is to go through, and it's known that it, it, they know that this is proven, it's tested, and it is consumer-friendly. You will never be able to gauge the level of your faith unless and until your faith goes through testing. It is perfectly okay for the Christian to look at God and say, God, I'm okay if my faith is tested. And sometimes that's through sickness. Sometimes that's through financial hardship. Sometimes it's the test of your faith, of how strong you'll be in your faith with Christ. It will be people that want to jettison your faith, people that want to shake your faith, people that come up to you. It might be relationships that might be broken. I know a lot of people that were tested in their faith through the divorces that they've been through in their lives, the silly mistakes that they have committed in their lives that have caused people to test their faith, so their faith to be tested. My question today is how many of you embrace these tests that you go through in your life because God says it was appointed, it was planned, it was predetermined. It was predestined. He knows what you're going through today. He knows exactly that struggle that you're going through. He knows that physical condition you're going through. He knows that financial situation or that job situation. That person that's persecuting you. That person that's putting you down. That person that's ostracizing you. That relationship issue that you have. Trust me, God knows it already. Like some of us get into the prayer room and we're like, God, do you know what I'm going through? Yep, I, I already know. But God, do you know what she did? Yup. That was on the calendar. It was on the plan. I don't know if you looked at the plan. Uh, I don't know if you took time to understand it but you know what you might not understand it and that's fine that's okay but I want you to know and the comfort is that God has already known he will already he, he he will know he knows currently what you're going through and he knows what's gonna happen tomorrow and I can go to sleep at night tonight knowing that God is still on the throne and that our Google calendar is shared and he knows that I have an appointment with that trial and this trial and that trial he knows that I'm gonna run into this problem and this this problem and this problem but i know one thing for sure that if he brings me to it he'll take me through it and all i gotta do is i gotta stand i gotta be faithful i gotta say no when i gotta say no i gotta jump when i gotta jump i gotta leap when i gotta leap just obey and listen to what god has asked me to do at the right times am i being faithful in the time of waiting Am I being faithful between the point of my, my 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 mystery where I don't understand what's going on in my life, this trial is too difficult for me to digest, and the point of my revelation where you stand. You remember where Joseph stands when all his brothers are in front of him, and his brothers that have deceived him and put him down, they're all standing around him, and they're and Joseph is not bloating. He's not he, he he's not you know standing over them and he's not exercising his authority. He basically says this: He says, What God, what man Meant for my evil, God meant for my good. It's amazing that our God is a God that turns tables. Don't worry, God's not running late. He didn't miss the appointment. Because sometimes being in that appointment is hard. Haven't you been there where you've been in an appointment and the person that, 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 that was supposed to help you out through that appointment or or, or somebody that had to pray with you or somebody that had to fast with you or somebody that had to show up for you, didn't show up. It's hard, right? Sometimes we think that God is not around us when we go through trials and temptations. I still remember what my youth pastor once told me. He said, Ashish, it doesn't matter what you go through in your life. Your trials and your temptations do not let you know that God is not there. God is there. But it's like a, it's like a teacher who stands stands aside during a test or an exam that was me how many of y'all have been there like it was i hated teachers talking like in class but i wanted them to talk when i was writing my exam like have you have you been there like i've been there all the time like when i was taking my test i'm like why don't you talk now like come next to me and and tell me what answer to is it c or b like talk now that's what i want you to do but it's that moment that they what Don't talk. They're proctoring. They're way in that corner on their phone looking up once in a while to make sure. Am I talking to somebody? But my youth pastor told me this. He said, But Ashish, don't forget that the teacher doesn't do that until she's taught you the lesson. And that was good for me. That was good. That that, that propelled me forward. That, That made me feel good because I know that sometimes God seems to be quiet, but he's humming. He's looking at his Google account. Am I talking to So He's he's watching out for you and he knows what you're going through. And he's just standing beside and saying, man, I've I've taught you. You remember that Sunday message that you slept through? Pastor was talking just about this situation that you were going through. Ah, I'm I'm not to blame that you, you know, that was a lesson that I taught you. You slept right through it. And now you're here wanting me to talk you through answer number 17. Nope, trials. Know that I'm here though. But some of us need to take God's word and say, God, you know what? I'm going to be attentive. I know that you have prepared me for a time like this. And and his appointment is always on time. He's not running on late. He hit accept on that calendar invite. And he said that he'll be there. And Paul is saying, don't be surprised, y'all. Don't be surprised. And that's point number three. The third thing about trials is this. That verse tells us in verse number four. The point is suffering shouldn't surprise you. Suffering shouldn't surprise you verse number four it says this for when we were with you we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it had come to pass and just as you know in verse number three Paul says he's concerned that the Thessalonians might be unsettled by these trials he he doesn't suggest any surprise that there are trials that that it was simply normal for Paul for how many of us do trials, you can look at trials and be like, oh, this is normal. I've been through so many of them today. I've, over the years of my ministry, over the years of being a believer and being a Christian, I've been through so many trials. It could be financial, it could be relational, it could be, it doesn't matter, in a job situation, in a business situation, what name it, I've been through a trial in some way or the other. For those of you who have never been through a trial, I want to let you know that trials are coming. That, that, that someday, at some time, there is suffering that might come to you. But when it does, don't let it surprise you. For Paul, it was normal. He got beaten. People were getting beheaded all around him. You know, the Greek word that translates trials is this word called "thlipsis." Literally, it means pressure, right? It translates trial or persecution or affliction. It's the pressure from opposition. And the core of Christian teaching is a cross. It's not a bed of roses. I'm going to repeat that one more time. At the core of Christian teaching is a cross. It is not a bed of roses. If you heard a gospel that was otherwise, you heard the wrong gospel. At the core of Christian teaching is not a bed of roses; not prosperity. At the core of Christian living is living simply and giving lavishly, not living lavishly and giving simply. Because that was the core of Christian, the the, the base of Christianity in itself. When God sent his only son, he didn't keep to himself. He gave lavishly. He gave lavishly. And because of that, that is what you and I would do as well. It's not a, oh, I have more, so I just spend more. No, it's I have more, so I give more. I have to spare, so I give. Why? Because that is the core of Christian living. It's never a, man, I'm going to be a spendthrift. I have everything that I want. No, at the core of biblical teaching is suffering. Because in John 16, it says that in this world, you will have trouble. In Matthew 10, it says you will be hated by everyone because you trust in me. In Matthew chapter 24 and 9, it says you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. You still want to be a Christian? That's that's the pitch. That's the Christian pitch. I don't know what pitch you've heard before, but that's the best pitch I can give you. And we talked about this last week. So what did Paul do, right? Paul did not sit back and simply pray for the Thessalonians. My thoughts are with you guys. I'm in Athens, but I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. He didn't send them some roses. He didn't send them a card. No, 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 no. He said, I am going to do something about this compassion that I have. So what does he do in verse number two? We, we said we'll go three, four, and then we'll go back to two. We, and he, he said, him and Silas, they send Timothy, our brother, to establish and exhort. Or the word exhort means to encourage you in your faith. Paul couldn't remove the hardships. But he could send Timothy to help. No one can make our hardships go away. Like, no one. No one can make your hardships go away. But, but, but it's, it's this. But, but God gives us people around us who encourage and help us. Do you surround yourselves with people that constantly encourage you and help you? Paul wanted Timothy to do two things. He said, I want you to go and establish them and I want you to encourage them. Come on, somebody Are you intentionally seeking people to to establish? Are you intentionally seeking people around you to encourage in your life? I'm going to tell you in a few moments why this is difficult, right? You know, we live in a self-serving, in this self-centered, you know, this self-obsessed, modern-day rush-rush society filled with negativity and constant tearing down of others. And that's why it's so difficult for us to sometimes look at somebody and say, good job. I'm proud of you. Oh, man, I see potential inside of you. But Christian encouragement is not a suggestion, it's a command. Christian encouragement is one that we find awkward to employ every day in life because, man, it's uncomfortable. Bro. It's uncomfortable. But does it have to be uncomfortable, though? Be an encourager this morning. How? How do you be an encourager, guys? Turn to the Word. Like, you know, not everyone is naturally comfortable crafting perfect words for a given situation, right? As a Christian, go into the Word. Seek out what the Bible talks about encouragement. Encourage one another through the Word. Tell people who they are or how you see them through how Christ sees them. Are you encouraging your kids on a regular basis? Here's something that I want to share with you. And some of your parents are, you know, like like older than me. You have older kids and you probably have been there, done that. But here's what we've been doing. And I've I've seen this happen every single time. We notice our kids doing something that we love that they are doing. Something that we've trained them, something that we've told them to do. And we, we, we notice that. We will make sure that we stop everything we're doing. And we will talk to them and say, hey, Michaela, I noticed what you just did. I saw what you just did, and I want to let you know that, man, that was amazing. That was being a good big sister. That was being a good girl. That was being an amazing human being because that's what we instill within them every single day. Every morning when, when she gets into the car, when I drive her to school, I tell her this. I, you know, I, I, I tell her to repeat this statement and, and every day she repeats it and she says, I am beautiful. I am strong. I am bold. I am, I am kind. I am a child of God. These are five things that she repeats every single day in the morning. She will pray with me in the car. She will say, Psalms 23 with me in the car. It's like a five minute drive. So she goes through this whole thing and the last thing is she says her five I am's. And every single time I notice that she does something to fulfill one of those I am's, I make it a point that I stop and say, I notice how bold you were. I look at her and say, you're so pretty today, you're so beautiful. Are you speaking life over somebody? It's not just your children. It could be your spouse. It could be be, be the people that you work with. Right? It could be individuals around you that God has put around you. Uh, you know, In practicing encouragement, I have found that fewer words uh, that, I, that I use on my own, it's, it's, it's the better. The more I can rely on God. Turn to the Word of God and speak life over people. Right? The second thing is be specific. Our encouragement is most meaningful when we take enough interest in others and are specific with our encouragement. Be observant of those in your believing community based on what you observe. And that's what I just talked about, about Michaela, about being observant about qualities and gifts and skills and talents that people have around you. And when you see them using those gifts, man, propel them forward, encourage them, speak life over them and say, man, I want to be an encourager today. You know, based on what you observe, offer concrete examples of how you've seen this person live out their faith. You know, it's so deeply encouraging to hear, man, something like this, God's grace is at work in your life, and and I saw it when you said this, or when you said that. Learn to speak that over your wife. Learn to speak that over your husband, over your parents, over people that you love. The third way that you can be an encourager is by being selfless. Have you ever held back from encouraging someone because you were afraid that you might feed their pride? Everyone's quiet. I feel like this is a normal because sometimes I have. Man, I don't want to encourage that person because I don't know if it's going to get to their head. Have you ever withheld encouragement because you viewed someone as a rival in your work environment? I don't want them to get better than me. I don't want them to feed off my encouragement. I don't want them to know that they did good or this or that. Have you ever been in that situation? Or it could be a circle of your friends. We all have, right? But Christian encouragement and and flattery sit at opposite ends of the spectrum. Christian encouragement is not flattery, y'all. It's speaking life, God breathed life into somebody. Don't let fear of being seen as a flatterer cause you to curtail or or the genuine words of encouragement. Don't let your own insecurities inhibit your praise that you're putting on other people and speaking life over other people. Constantly do that. Even though that might make you feel uncomfortable to look at somebody and say, hey man, I appreciate you. You did this, you did that. It might hit your ego a little bit. But you know what? You're speaking life and encouraging somebody. Learn how to esteem others over yourself. You can be an encourager when you esteem other people. Leaders esteem others higher than themselves. And verse number five, it's this. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Worship Would you come up? You know, he's, he's wary, guys. He's, he's on alert. He's like, man, I, I want to make sure that I pray for you. I'm thinking about you. He's saying, somehow, I want to make sure that y'all are okay. I sent people to you because I was fearing that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Do you know that the tempter is prowling around? Trials are bound to come knocking, y'all. But are you ready for those tests is my question this morning. Remember that the trials and temptations are temporary. They're for the moment, but it's character that lasts. You know, why does the believer have to go through trials? A lot of people ask me, if you're a Christian, why do you go through trials? Isn't that why you worship God? You worship God and God gives you happiness and joy and fulfillment and all of that stuff. Like, isn't that why we worship this God? There has to be some kind of difference that I see in my life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, the Bible says this, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Come on, this is good. In verse number 18, it says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He says, man, your pain, your trials, they're temporary. Somebody say temporary. You know who this is coming from? This is coming from this dude that has been imprisoned. Okay? He gets out of prison... Goes and preaches the gospel somewhere else. He says, Jesus loves you. They beat him up, put him in prison again. He's doing his rounds around prison. Why? Because he's sharing Jesus. And he's sitting in prison, writing and saying, this is temporary. Come on, somebody. That blows my mind to know that somebody like this dude who put his life on the line for the gospel of Jesus hasn't gotten tired of trials. I should not be the only one that's been tired of trials have y'all been tired of trials to the point where you're like i'm done man it's it's way too long when is enough enough he says they're temporary all the torture that you received is temporary paul all the imprisonments that you've been through is momentary paul How long, Lord? Why me, Lord? Aren't those the questions? Why do Christians, why do believers have to go through suffering? Why is my unbeliever friend not going through suffering? Why don't they have any issues? But here is my answer. And I want you to catch on to this. If you haven't heard anything else so far, catch on to this. The unbeliever is living their best life right now. Simply put. And for them... For somebody that's not in Christ, that's all that matters, the temporary, the momentary. But glory beyond the grave that will make up for the terrors and the pains of this life is what Paul says. This light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What you and I have, the hope of tomorrow, For anybody that is in Christ Jesus, for anybody that has received Jesus into your life, let me tell you something, you just don't have to be worried about today. You might be living your best life right now, but have you thought about tomorrow? Have you thought about your future? Have you thought about what's going to happen when you die? Have you thought about when when, Jesus says he's coming back soon? Jesus rose up from that grave. He, he, he got off that cross, rose up from that grave, and he said, I'm coming back soon for my church. And when he comes back, There will be a day the Bible tells us there is no more sorrow. There is no more pain. There is no more trial. There is no more heart attacks. There is no more cancer. There is no more COVID. There's going to be a day where I will not have to face financial problems or marital problems or relationship problems. There's going to be a day that I will look at Christ face to face. And at that point in time, my worries will go away. And all I can do is gaze at the face of Jesus. And Paul is saying, for this light momentary affliction, it's all it's doing is it's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. Why you? Because of that. I always say this, when you're looking to be mentored... Or, discipled or to be encouraged when you're going through trials? Quit going to YouTube or Google and saying, how can I be encouraged? I want you to look for somebody who has suffered much and his or her faith in, the, in God has, been, has, has remained unshaken. Search for those people. Look for people who have testimonies that have that said, man, I've been to hell and back but I'm still holding on to Jesus. Hang around those people. You will see real quick how your faith goes from zero to 10. Because all those people can talk about is the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the power of Jesus. There's somebody here today that needs Jesus in your heart. And I wanted to tell you about the glory of the gospel is that your pain might be temporary. And for those of you who are not in Christ, maybe the joys of today are are transient. They they might seem good, but have you ever asked yourself, when you die tomorrow, where will you go? I think it was C.S. Lewis who said this. He said, somebody came up to me and asked me, C.S. Lewis, what's going to happen? If you die tomorrow and you find out that there is no heaven, there is no Jesus, there is no God, isn't it better to be an atheist in this world and live your life without consequences and no moral standards? Do whatever you feel like rather than trusting in this God that you hope in, that you wish someday will come for you. And C.S. Lewis said something very remarkable. He said, I would rather live a life believing in a Jesus and a Christ and His promise and a hope for tomorrow rather than dying only to find out that He was not true. It takes more faith to not believe than to believe. Because for me, when I go to heaven, I can't wait to see Jesus. But for everybody asking, what, what if this is just a blur? What if it's, it's just a mystical novel that we hear on earth? And to you, I want to ask you, wouldn't you rather live a life believing Die to find out yes or no. And I want to guarantee you that you will find out that Christ has a plan for you and there is eternity and there is a heaven and there is a hell. Rather than you living your life not believing in a heaven and a hell only to find out that there was a heaven and hell. Would you stand up to your feet with me, church? Stop comparing yourself with somebody that doesn't know Jesus. Because you know what you signed up for is what the Bible says. Paul says, you know what you signed up for. It doesn't come as a surprise to you. You know exactly what you signed up for. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, it says this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope the testing of your faith that's what he's talking about he's saying suffering trials it should produce character within you it should produce endurance the ability to stand your ground and say I'm going to fight I'm going to keep going it doesn't matter what comes against me. I will not sink. I will not fall. God has got my back. And knowing that, that endurance is what, is, is what produces character. And that character is what helps you hold on to hope. The hope of tomorrow. I've asked the worship team to come back up. And they're going to lead us in a few moments of worship. And if you're believing for a miracle in your body. And if, if you're praying for healing. There's something that you're believing for. We're praying for Mary like I said. Let's pray for the many people that we're praying for that are dealing with COVID. Let's pray for provision in India that oxygen will be supplied in plenty, that that they will have makeshift hospitals that they build as soon as possible. Let's pray for more doctors to go into India to be able to assist with the operations there. Take a moment. Let's pray for Mary right now. We'll pray for Clinton right now. There are a couple of you that probably just want to come and just stand around Clinton and just pray for him. We're going to pray for Clinton today as well.
1: If there's anybody that
0: needs prayers right now, I want you to come to the front. If you want prayers, I would love to pray for you today. You might be going through a trial, a testing. It could be a job situation. It could be a financial situation. It could be something that's going on that you need God to move in your life. I pray that today will be a day where you will encounter the power of Jesus in your life. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.